Welcome to 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. Thanks for joining me. Y'all, we are getting to one of the granddaddy bands of the era. One of the biggest bands Britain ever produced. One of the biggest bands of the 20th and 21st century, I think it's safe to say. They are, of course, Radiohead. And we're getting to them kind of out of order. Well, definitely out of order. I'm happy to have Chris Deary back on the show. Legacy guest, because he's my first guest on this show, so he gets special love for that always. And also, he's always willing to come back and do the show again. He has returned for a third time, and as such, he has chosen to go outside of the lines of 93, 94, specifically as far as being years that albums were released. And he has chosen 1995's The Benz. Now, this album was recorded all throughout 1994. It's from the zeitgeist, you know, it's from the era, for sure. It's funny that he chose this album because the next episode that I'll be releasing after this one is for Pablo Honey. So it will be doing a double-decker sandwich here with Radiohead. So check out me and Chris talking about The Benz. Well, thank you for coming back to Cinnamon, uh, to Cinnamon Nine. <laughs> Let me try that again. Retake. <laughs> hey, Chris. What's up, pal? <laughs> Welcome to 93.94 again. Thanks for coming back, man. You are very much a uh, special guest on this show since you are my first guest. So I'll bring that up every time you come back on. That's right. I was the first, and now I'm the first to be the third. So a third appearance. Is that correct? Has anyone else been on three times? That is not correct. <sighs> but you're coming back to do which album? We're doing Radiohead's The Benz, which yeah. came out in 95, but it was recorded in 94, and the first single came out in 94. Exactly. It was recorded in 94, and the first single came out in 94. This is a product of 94 in a lot of ways. And I'm doing another episode tomorrow with my buddy Donnie, and we're going to do Pablo Honey. Oh, boy. In my mind, they're very different albums, and I like one way more than the other. In a lot of ways, this album, The Benz, feels like their first album, their first proper album, and mm. Pablo Honey's kind of like a dry run. You know? <laughs> oh, the Creep album? <laughs> yeah, the album that has Creep on it.
Now, usually I start the show asking how do we know each other, that kind of stuff, but I'll ask you a different question. Okay. You're a big Radiohead fan, correct? I like Radiohead, yes, very much so. What's your favorite Radiohead album? Oh my god. So there's my favorite Radiohead album, I think there's the best Radiohead album, and then there's the most peculiar Radiohead album. So I think it kind of goes back and forth between OK Computer, The Benz, and also In Rainbows. Okay. I think the most well-made one is OK Computer. My favorite goes back and forth between The Benz and In Rainbows, and I think the most obscure, like, genre-bending album is obviously Kid A. Everything else is pretty good, but it's like those four right there. Yeah. They can always be interchangeable for me. My album is very much in rainbows. They're one of those bands that for a long time I liked and respected. I own Pablo Honey. I own the Benz. You know, I, I liked them a whole bunch. And then they released OK Computer and Kid A. And the fandom like tilted into this direction. And I've kind of talked about this on the show before, like like tool territory. It was one of those things where I started to feel like I didn't like them enough to like call myself a fan. <laughs> like the, the people were so like crazy about them that I was like, well, yeah, they're good. They're good. And then in Rainbows came out and I was like, okay, this is my album. I'm mm -hmm. really into that album still. But the Benz was my favorite before that one. Yeah. When in Rainbows came out, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I've been wanting them to do. You know, yeah. Amnesiac, Hail to the Thief. Okay. You know, after they had done Kid A mm -hmm. and then finally in Rainbows came out and I was like, yes, guitars are back. <laughs> this great mood to it. It's short, but it's really, really impressive. I think that that's a key point is that the guitars are kind of lacking for a while. And this album in particular is a really guitar centric album. I feel like Johnny Greenwood is like the main star of this album. As far as I can tell, it almost feels like classic rock in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's a total guitar album. I think there's a lot of uh, kind of U2, Actum Baby feel to mm. it. I'm actually glad they never kind of did another straightforward, you know, guitar album like this added some flavors to it when you had like an in rainbows but mm -hmm. uh yeah this is certainly just like a guitar album and johnny greenwood absolutely soars through it yeah it's a much more confident album than pablo honey which is funny because well yeah it's their sophomore effort but they formed in 1985 so they had been around for quite some time before yeah. pablo honey came around and then you'd think they'd be shaky with this album because it was being recorded under the weight of the huge success they were experiencing with creep i think that's partly why we kind of both were kind of saying like this is when they sort of started in a way because this is where they're very clearly or at least for the most part clearly not trying to write hits or trying to write something that fits into any sort of mold or anything this is like hey this is what we're doing be on board or get off the train yeah they, i mean and they were under a ton of pressure from emi emi said mm -hmm. hey you have like 14 weeks to do this and it took them almost a year to do it they would stop and then go on tour and mm -hmm. uh you know their label was really looking for the next creep and the next couple singles and they didn't really want to do that they don't love creep at all and it's evident on this album it's evident in a lot of their songs mm -hmm. especially the first single my iron long is basically like a fuck you to creep <laughs>
So as I do every time I come to this podcast, I listen to every single song, I listen to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And the first single is essentially, you know, My Iron Long, it's mm -hmm. essentially about Creep had been keeping them alive financially, but they yeah. felt like they were constrained into an iron lung where they were in this box that they had to do this certain type of song or certain type of music. One of my favorite lyrics in it is, this is our new song, just like the last one, a total waste of time, my iron lung. <laughs> I did not realize that. So my iron lung is literally the song creep. That's what they're yeah, referring to. Yeah, yep. That is so funny. Okay, that's a fun fact. You're coming with fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> of course. That's great. Now, it's funny because I don't remember that being the single. I remember that being like there was an EP for it that was released in 94. And I think it was a different version than what appeared on this album. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't really remember it being a single. I think the first single I remember being was, uh, I want to say High and Dry was the first single that I remember. So what is your favorite song on this album, Chris? Oh, so it, it's really tough. Just like every album that I've come on yeah. to do is like, what is my favorite song? It kind of goes back and forth. This one feels extra tough, though, to me. I'll give you my favorite song, but there's like favorite moments in this album. And most of it is either Johnny Greenwood's guitar solo or the bridge mm -hmm. going into the next verse. So it's like at 308 on the bends, he has this unbelievable guitar solo, which yes. is the second song. Absolutely amazing. I love that song. And then you look at like 235 of Fake Plastic Trees, where it's this like ultimate buildup that he has going on. And you're like, oh my God, this is such like a, a heartbreaking song. And that's when like Phil Selway and Greenwood start to amp it up. 229 of Nice Dream, another like amazing Johnny guitar solo, 330 of Just. Okay, but you've listened to my podcast. There's no way for me to like splice these. I'm not, asking, I'm not asking you to do that. <laughs> so let's get back to the main point, which is what is my favorite song? My favorite song is actually Street Spirit. Oh, really? Okay. They do this in three consecutive albums, almost my favorite song on each of the three albums of The Benz, with Street Spirit, OK Computer, Exit Music from a Film, and Kid A, How to Disappear Completely. Mm -hmm. They're three of the most depressing songs I've ever heard, and I absolutely love them. And they're all album enders, right? No. Uh, no, no, they're not. Street they're Spirit not. is, and then um, 
exit music from the film is last song, isn't it? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, how despair completely isn't. Yeah, and it's just like, I mean, Street Spirit is just total despair. I read that Tom won't play it live because he sees the fans and they're like cheering. He's like, no, this song is about death and absolute dread. And if you've ever seen the video, it's directed by Jonathan Glazer. It's a really, really cool uh, black and white video too. So check that out if you haven't seen it. I actually haven't. This was their last single from the album. And I don't remember it being a single. I don't remember hearing it on the radio ever. Do you? No, and uh, you know, when I was thinking back, I'm like, when did I first hear this album? And I really can't seem to figure it out. I was not a Creep fan. I did not like Pablo Honey. I bought the album and I was like, ah, I don't really like this. Um, I got into it a little later on, but I was not a big, you know, Creep fan. And that song was yeah. played constantly. Yeah. You know, this album comes out early 95, but I don't think I really became aware of it till maybe late summer when they started playing Just and Fake Plastic Trees. Yeah. But mostly it was those videos that they were playing. I felt like MTV were playing the videos of Radiohead way more than the radio was. So like MTV would have, you know, Fake Plastic Trees or Just, you know, Street Spirit, High and Dry. All these songs are being played on MTV, but like I didn't really hear them a ton on the radio. So that's, I think, when I first kind of started getting into this album, and then I went and I bought it, I'm like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Well, I think you make a really good point that MTV had a lot to do with pushing this album. I don't remember Street Spirit, uh, a video for it either, to be honest, or My Iron Lung either, but I do remember yeah. the video for High and Dry, Just, and Fake Plastic Trees were like all over MTV. Do you remember the video for Just? I do. I watched it this morning. <laughs> is it not the best video of all time? It is still my favorite video ever. It's so cool. Just a guy in a suit walking around and then he falls down and someone trips on him. And then all these people in the public start coming by and asking him what's wrong with him. Why is he laying on the ground? He just wants to be left alone. Yeah. And then upstairs in an apartment, you have Radiohead playing the song. Yeah. And then it's great because he finally says, okay, you want me to reveal why I'm laying on the ground? And, and everything's like, being spoken with subtitles. So we're like reading yes. what they're saying. Yeah. And he's like, God help me for revealing this to all of you. And then right as he goes to say something, it's at 3.30 of the song where basically Johnny Greenwood just goes nuts for he the last it. 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely rips it. And then they pan out and it's hundreds of people laying on the ground next to this guy. Yeah, his mouth is moving, but there's no subtitles for that part. So we don't know what he said. And like years later, I saw a commercial or something else or a movie. I don't remember. I saw like someone else try and do that. I'm like, no, we still remember whatever yeah. this it was like a, I think it was a commercial I saw. <laughs> no, no, this is still the video for just, I hope you got sued, whoever you were. Um, it's gotta be one of the best videos ever. three of those videos were pretty strong videos visually speaking you know they just really really worked and then you have great music on top of it like just which i really thought was going to end up being my favorite song on this album but 
uh, revisiting the album the last few days, I gotta go with the title track. I gotta go with the Benz. I think that's the oh, best song on the album. It. Yeah, yeah. happening in this album it's just this like elated kind of uplifting like lofty fucking and i was thinking of like led zeppelin and pink floyd and all these kind of classic rock bands that you get a lot of that kind of feel in this album while at the same time it still feels incredibly new even 30 years later it still feels just like really really strong and epic yeah and it's kind of perfect being the second song on the album because you know the first song planet telex is you know Kind of a slower song actually has a little bit of okay computer vibes in it mm-hmm. and then you get to the bends and like that opening line where do we go from here and i'm like oh boy okay we're going on a trip right now <laughs> and yeah. then every single time i hear this song and i just mentioned it at 308 mm-hmm. when johnny goes into that solo there's something that i feel inside me that is just so amazing and i get such a joy hearing that it's an incredible song you know, the people who get the main attention in this band are Tom York and Johnny Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel bad for the other guys. You know, I don't really know their names. Colin Greenwood is one of them. I know that. His brother. Yeah. I don't have their names memorized. But this album really demonstrates the wonderful dynamic these two musicians have, Greenwood and York, in that the way they play off one another. So you can, at one moment, be enchanted by what York is doing, and the next, it's what Greenwood is doing. And then they'll sometimes be, like, doing similar things at the same time together. And like, you know, Greenwood's playing over the notes that York is singing. You can tell they've been playing for a long time, even by the time this album came out. Yeah, and it's really not a surprise that Johnny Greenwood ended up turning into this amazing, you know, American music composer. Mm -hmm. You know, all these Paul Thomas Anderson movies, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and his use of distortion and changing pitches. He plays just a ridiculous amount of instruments, synthesizers, recorders, bass. He can play all these different types of guitars. Yeah. I, I read something where he started doing these like homemade sounds with like hammers and stuff. He's a huge fan of jazz and classical music and even electronic music, which you start to see, mm-hmm. you know, when they get into the you know next couple albums. Yeah. Um... I don't like to use that word genius too often. That's for Einstein and Niels Bohr. But yeah, he is something of a musical genius, I think. He certainly approaches the whole thing differently than other guitarists and other just like rock musicians, it seems, from what I can tell. Yeah, he's unbelievable. And, you know, the Benz, the song The Benz, mm-hmm. is just like a huge reason why this band is so amazing is, is a song like that. And then you can have a song, you know, like Fake Plastic Trees or yeah. Bones or, you know, Street Spirit. And The Benz, as I understand it, is also about not necessarily creep specifically, but about their sudden onset of fame and how it felt like they had risen out of water. They rose too quickly mm-hmm. and they were like suffocating in the atmosphere, in the oxygen. I
Yeah, yeah. It's used as a metaphor of them becoming these huge rock stars and they had to, you know, adjust to this fame when mm -hmm. really they just kind of wanted, to, like, they've said before that Pablo Honey wasn't really the album that they really wanted to start off with. And for me, I feel like The Benz is their first album. Mm -hmm. It's always that thing of struggling, you know, are we going to be that one hit wonder right. with Creep that, you know, just wouldn't go away for years and years and years. Still hasn't. <laughs> Although The Benz didn't have any, like, huge singles on it like it's such a quality album and i feel like there could have been 11 singles off this album well i feel like fake plastic trees was definitely a huge single maybe not as big as creep but at the time i definitely remember feeling like in 95 it was hard to go anywhere without hearing that song mm -hmm. i was almost burned out on it even though i loved it <laughs> you know yeah and his voice is so different on that it's so just like quiet and reserved mm -hmm. and what they do so often is just that build-up they have and i had read that he chose to sing in kind of the falsetto tone because they went and saw jeff buckley oh no shit they went and saw Jeff Buckley, which obviously Jeff Buckley is this unbelievable falsetto voice. They went and saw Buckley, came back to the studio. Tom went and sang it twice by himself and fell to the ground weeping. Wow. Uh, and it's worth mentioning here, of course, that the last time you were on, you did Jeff <laughs> Buckley's Grace. Sure did. And I think we even talked about at the time that you could kind of hear yeah. some of the influence on Radiohead. And Radiohead has been one of those bands that has gone on to influence many others. Um, like I did Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral with our buddy Brian Madison not that long ago. And I mm -hmm. believe Great episode. he was talking about there that Trent Reznor was moved and changed by listening to Radiohead. And there's a lot of people that would say that about Radiohead and this album uh, in particular, but especially, yeah, probably Kid A and OK Computer. So it was hard to pick a best song on this album. Could you pick a least good song on this album? I had a really hard time with that. Yeah, I think when I do listen to this album, you know, before I got it on vinyl, the song that I would always skip over, uh, which actually like is a very beautiful song. Tom's voice is great in it. It's actually a song that they had come up with a few years prior that probably could have been on the Pablo Honey album. Mm -hmm. And it's high and dry. Jumps in a week, but you think. 
that song was a huge hit, but I understand that at least York, I don't know about the rest of the band, that they're not really that crazy about it. No, no. I mean, I've seen them in concert. They don't play many stuff from the bands at all. Just looking through set lists, I think they rarely ever play this. Uh, yeah, it, it was a big hit, but if the band doesn't love it, it's hard to <laughs> stick with it. I've always loved it personally, but I do understand it being your least favorite because it kind of feels a little this is what i was referring to earlier it definitely has a little bit more of a feel to it that like yeah okay we don't want to go too far afield we want to go into a place that people can still be comfortable listening to us even if we're wanting to get into weird places and it does feel a little bit more like forced conventionality but it is still great it's not a bad song it's maybe yeah. a little too poppy for the way the rest of the album is but it's really good and that's the problem I had with the album is that <laughs> there's not a bad song on the album, so it was hard to try and choose what I felt was the least standout. I ended up going with Bones. because I think it's a bad song, of course, but it doesn't stand out in the way that I think almost every other song on this album strongly does. And there are moments of it that do stand out, but I thought Bones and to a lesser degree Sulk were like the only songs on the album that when I went back and listened to it recently, I was like, oh yeah, these songs exist. I, I forgot about those, you know? And then listening to it, I'm like, okay, so Sulk is grabbing me, but Bones was just kind of like, it just kind of felt like filler a little bit. funny because Bones, Black Star, and Sulk all seem like the same song in a way. I know they're all about different things, but I, yeah. I always kind of lump those three together as not like the best songs, but also they each have something really, really unique in it. So in Bones, the song that you said maybe isn't your favorite, uh, mm. I love the reverb on it. Mm -hmm. And he does something with his voice when he says Prozac and painkillers. He does this something with his voice that is like scary as fuck. He just like changes his voice up and he kind of like growls it, which is really mm -hmm. cool. And the bridge in that song is also really good. You know, same thing with Black Star and Salk. There's some really, really cool parts of it, you know, especially when Greenwood kicks in and starts ripping that guitar. Black Star to me always felt almost like Bowie or something. Like it has like a, a 70s almost feel, like an operatic 70s feel to it. And I think Planet Telex kind of has that going for it a little bit too. Or maybe it's the names of the songs that kind of <laughs> put that in my head more than the actual vibe of them. I'm not sure, but that's kind of the takeaway I always have with that one. So Black Star always stuck out to me, but yeah, Bones and 
and to a lesser degree, Salt, not as much. But yeah, it's hard to sit here and be critical about this album. It is a masterpiece of an album. It's absolutely stunning. Just an absolute great album. I think maybe another song that maybe isn't my favorite, although Tom's voice is really good in it again, is Bulletproof, I Wish I Was. That's my underrated song. going in that I was going to make it my least favorite. Yeah. But sitting down and listening to it, that was like going in. I'm like, okay, I think that's my least favorite song on this album. So I was kind of paying extra attention to it. And I'm like, well, this is goddamn beautiful. Yeah. But yeah. What were you going to say about it? Nothing really changes in the song. It's very kind of heady and, and slow, but it is very good. But it's not something that I would listen to on repeat. But again, it's, it's just so hard. It's right after My Iron Lung, which, you know, I go back and forth with, you know, Street Spirit and Meyer and Long and maybe the Benz being my favorite. Mm -hmm. But it fits on the album really, really well, Bulletproof does, because it's right after Justin Meyer Iron Long are huge guitar songs, mm -hmm. gigantic choruses, and then, you know, you slow down a little bit with Bulletproof, and then you get back into Black Star and Salt that are, you know, very similar songs with huge guitar parts. It just kind of like gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, maybe. What for you is your underrated song on this album? Uh, I think it's probably Planet Telex. It's a better 
has that okay computer vibe. He does something really, really cool in it. He's like, everything is broken, but he waits to say broken. He's like, everything is... And then he stops and then says broken. And for years of listening to this album, I never really looked at the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And by just listening to it, it's almost like early Pearl Jam where you really have no idea what Tom York is saying. Yeah. <laughs> so once I started digging into the lyrics, I was like, this is really cool. And what I also really like about this is you know, the intro with Phil Selway's drums are really, really good. And there's this, mm. like, soaring wind in the background, which is, you know, Johnny playing some weird instrument, which seems to become a theme as they get into later albums. Yeah, that's a really good song. I, I almost picked that as my underrated, too, because since it's the first song, a lot of times I would kind of, like, just... As a kid, I would skip and go straight to the Benz since I like that <laughs> song so much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really a kick-ass song, for sure. I think we actually talked about almost every song, too. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to say here. <laughs> and we know exactly how we feel about it. But I guess that's what happens when you spend 30 years with an album. Because while this isn't something I've picked up and listened to very much recently, it is something I've returned to over and over and over again throughout my life mm. in a way that I have not done with Pablo Honey or even really uh, Kid A. I'll pick up OK Computer, but I don't really put on Kid A very much either. They're one of those bands you can kind of get in for an album, get out for an album, get in for an album. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Kid A, I, it's the one, I think I have four Radiohead albums on vinyl. And Kid A is like the one I never play. Yeah. I mean, it's a certain type of mood you got to be in. I listened to it a lot when it first came out when I was in college, but it's not one that I revisit very often. Mm -hmm. But for the music production of it and, you know, them taking a complete left after OK Computer and putting that out was just like, yeah. oh. So people either gave it one star or gave it like a million stars because they didn't really know how to react <laughs> to it. It's similar to what yeah. you had said, you know, at the start of the pod being like, am I a big enough fan of this band because there are like Radiohead fans that are just like absolute you know nuts about them yeah the more nuts they are about them the more they seem to like Kid A also yeah uh, in my experience anyways but they are one of those bands that they're going to have people that are going to be really loyal to them so it would make sense that the most devoted you are to the band the more likely you'd go with their most a kind of classic album that kind of like yeah. goes against the grain yeah so you've seen them live several times or just once? Or? I saw them once. I think it was either 2018 or 2019. I saw them on the same tour. You know, I saw them in Philadelphia. Oh, and I think okay. that you posted something on Facebook shortly after that where you saw them okay. as well. Yeah, that summer we saw Smashing Pumpkins at Little Caesars Arena. And that was ridiculous because there were floor seats. It was really the first tour with all of them back together, Jimmy and James. And there were seats on the floor and we were like eighth row. We were super, super close. It was one of the best That's concerts I ever saw because every single song they played was just an absolute banger. And then two weeks later, we saw Radiohead. So we were thinking it was going to be the same kind of type of deal. We had tickets for the floor. So we're like, okay, there's going to be seats again. And we went to a bar outside of Little Caesars Arena called Harry's. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and we did the same thing for Smashing Pumpkins. And we kind of lost track of time. Uh, you know, we're having a few pops there. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, shit, I don't even know if there's an opener. We probably got to get over to the arena. So we get over there, mm -hmm. check in, go down the stairs. And we get down. It's just general emission. There's no seats at all. And we're like, oh, oh we kind of screwed this up. We're going to be so far back. You know, yeah. they're, they're starting in like 10 minutes. And all of a sudden, we start walking on the main floor. And we're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, we were like 25 feet from the stage. I'm like, how did this happen? <laughs> and then I turn around and there's just a flood of people coming in behind us. I'm like, okay, everyone's late to the concert, but somehow we got in before everybody else. And wow. it was an absolute incredible show. The lights were really, really cool. Oh, the lights were amazing on that tour. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. there's some people definitely just staring at the <laughs> ceiling for the whole concert. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. That's awesome. I had a pretty much opposite experience in terms of closeness because I was very broke as a, you know, I was in grad school yeah. and being broke was making me miss a lot of really big shows because Philly, like every band comes through there, you know, they have all the venues for it, but like I couldn't often afford to go to see a lot of shows like that. But I coughed up the money for Radiohead, which it was more than I'm used to paying for a ticket, but I got one seat and it was like, if the stage is A, I was at Z. I was like as far away from the stage <laughs> as you can literally get, but I was dead center. Okay. You know what I mean? I was dead center and I was at the top and I was like one row from like, not in the front row, but like one row back from the front row of like of that section that I was in. So I didn't have to like rely on the screen. I could actually like see everybody, even though they were tiny, I could like see all them and I could see the whole thing really well. And, and it was all mixed to like hit me perfectly. So while it was, nosebleeds it was like the best possible nosebleeds and it was really just an incredible show and, and as i left i ran into speaking of radiohead fanatics i ran into a good friend of mine that i'd gone to film school with shout out to nick who lived in virginia who i didn't see hardly ever i hadn't seen like 10 15 years and i just ran into him in the parking lot I'm like oh shit, <laughs> of course you're here radiohead fanatic but they were yeah they were incredible the set list was fucking great like they played such a great mix of songs i walked away from that show with so much more appreciation for their version of specter yeah. that didn't make it into the james bond movie i'm like those producers really fucked up but uh yeah great show i actually i just brought up the set list uh on my computer here i remember the show and i, I was completely floored by it it was amazing they played a lot of my mm -hmm. favorite songs but i wanted to see what songs they played from the bands and they played the start of Encore 2, they played the title track, The Bends. First Encore, they played Fake Plastic Trees. And then to end their first set, they played Street Spirit. That's awesome. That was kind of what surprised me. They had a broad range. They played a little bit from like mm -hmm. every album, except for Pablo Honey. I don't think they played anything from that, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I think they hit every single album except Pablo yeah. Honey. Yeah. So there's no creep. I don't think they played No, creep. I wouldn't expect them to. I'm actually surprised they played three songs from The Bends, but no complaints. Yeah, I was absolutely overjoyed that they did that because I was like, yeah, they're not going to play any songs from the bands. Maybe one song. Yeah, we got lucky. We did. Anything else you want to say about them before we plot on? Yeah, I mean, they're just an iconic band. Uh, I know when they got inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't think any of them went. I think maybe <laughs> I think maybe Ed O'Brien and Phil Selway, the drummer, went. But like, you know, they just don't care about that stuff. They like doing their own stuff, and you know, they get, they all yeah. they all got their side projects. You know, we mentioned uh, you know Johnny doing his you know music compositions mm -hmm. and the smile. And almost the reason I ended up picking this album is because I've been watching a ton of Paul Thomas Anderson movies lately, and I okay. watched Phantom Thread the other day, and I was just like, God damn it. He's so damn good at composing music. And then you ask me what album I should do, and I'm like, yeah, I gotta do the bands. I gotta do radio. <laughs> Go figure. You know, it's funny, also, I think another good example of how they just kind of do whatever the fuck they want. 
this great Peter Gabriel covers album, I Scratch Your Back, You Scratch Mine. Are you familiar with it? No. It's a wonderful album of covers where he did like this orchestral arrangements of a bunch of covers. So like they're very much not electronic or anything. They're just completely orchestra and him singing and they're beautiful. And then in return, the bands come back and they recorded versions of his songs. Oh, when did this come out? Um, probably 2015, I would guess. It's awesome. It's really good. I've got it on vinyl and I'm pretty sure it's probably on Spotify and all that kind of stuff. Bonnie Vare covers Come Talk to Me and it's incredible. Oh, and his version of Flume is outstanding. But funnily enough, I mean, literally, it's got some of the best covers I've ever heard. You've probably heard Peter Gabriel's cover of We Can Be Heroes. Yeah. That's from that album. Uh, and David Bowie, I think, was one of the people that did not come and like return the favor. <laughs> yeah, he didn't return the favor. And Radiohead also did not return the favor because they were not happy with his take on Street Spirit Fade Out. Oh, okay. Because need- he slowed it down he took that really slow song and it's it's not i I can kind of understand why they didn't do i love peter gabriel i love that album but like it's not a great cover yeah it's got to be a tough one to do yeah i I don't think it was the right choice (laughs) on his part so yeah they didn't come back and return they're just kind of like yeah sorry who who are you peter gabriel yeah fuck you who cares (laughs) no and and radio is the type of band where it's like you never know if they're ever going to do another album right you just don't know i mean they have all these side projects and do all their own things and it's like but I don't ever find myself being like, oh, I really want another Radiohead album. Like, if they didn't put out another album, I think I would, for some weird reason, be okay with it. Be like, this is what I got. Amazing. Well, because they've given so much, I think, is yeah. the reason, right? They've really given a lot as far as variety of music, quality of music. How could you complain? Yeah. And it's crazy to think that they could be one of the biggest rock bands in the last 30 years. Probably. But they don't, like, have, like the singles to back it up as you know maybe a u2 did have in like the 80s and 90s but they're so well respected and almost every single one of their albums is getting like perfect ratings yeah i imagine a lot of it would be sales ticket sales for their shows and then their stuff showing up in movies and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. i think that's probably where you really see their impact culturally still resonating I've gotten pretty lazy about my end of the show (laughs) fucking (laughs) questions starting to feel like a real chore to like plus I've like you know I've gotten into like all of the toys and gadgets I'm like I'm running out of shit to talk about from the era but we're in a whole new year here we're in 1995 yes right yeah and as you know I have another film podcast cinema nine so I like movies and I know you like movies yes so I thought uh we're in a whole new year I'm gonna give you nine in homage to Cinema 9. I'm going to give you nine films. Try and guess what you think the highest grossing Ooh. films in the U.S. were for that year. So I'll give you nine. You see if you can if you can give me the top, oh, three, five, okay. whatever you okay. want to come up with, okay. all right? Yes. At random, here's the top nine. Again, this is just for the calendar year. Some movies say like seven, for instance, ended yeah. up making more in the long run. Okay. But we have Crimson Tide. Denzel Washington. Yep. We have Casper. Casper? Okay. Casper. We have Toy Story, Pocahontas, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard, great movie. It's classic. One of the best openings to any film, in my opinion. Love that opening. Uh, GoldenEye, James Bond, GoldenEye. Speaking of James Bond. Great video game. Yeah. Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Also one of the most iconic comedy scenes in history. Not a great movie, but that rhino scene is a (laughs) top-notch moment in film history. (laughs) We have Batman Forever. Oh, no. Pocahontas and Apollo 13. Oh, boy. This is tough. Yeah. Top three. Uh, well, I think Toy Story's got to be in there. That is number three. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to go with Apollo 13. That is number two. Oh my God. Is Batman Forever number one? Batman Forever is number one. Yeah. Great job. <laughs> you did it. You want to try four and five? Uh, You'd never guess either one of them. Four is probably Pocahontas. I take that back. You 100% guessed perfectly. I swear I'm not looking this up. This is hilarious. Uh, You're not going to guess number five, though. No way. Casper. Not Casper. I just kept thinking children's films. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is it really Ace Ventura? It really is Ace Ventura uh, when nature calls. Worst movie on this <laughs> list, probably. Although I've never seen Pocahontas. I've never seen Casper. I think I have. Yeah, it's not a great movie. <laughs> really not. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we went into a little bit of a movie question. Yeah, and we got to explore 1995 a little yeah. bit, too, which I've not done that. That's another thing about coming up with these questions. It's like I'm exhausting those two years. <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea that you're kind of stepping out and, you know, albums that maybe influenced 93 and 94 albums or, you know, bands that are connected. Uh, I think there's definitely a way to keep this going for several hundred more episodes, even if we're not still in 93 and 94. Honestly, my game plan is to like stick with 93 is 94 as much as possible and then also just continue to expand and eventually we'll all get, you know, who knows, like early 2000s, late 90s, who cares? Yeah, sure. I just, you know, as long as I have people coming on the show talking about music, I'll be happy. Well, I will come back whenever you'll have me, so. And I will appreciate <laughs> that. You're always welcome back. Thanks for doing this, man. It means a lot to me. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Thank you. Okay. There we are. Didn't Chris do great? I love Chris. He's got this Ted Lasso vibe to him. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's a sports guy and would look good in a mustache if he had one. And he's also just like, you know, got a real sweet personality. And he's a big Radiohead fan, so I appreciated him coming on and talking about them with us. You too could come on, listener, if you want to, if that's a thing that you're interested in doing, or maybe you know somebody that would be a good fit for this show. Maybe you or someone you know is a big fan of... Yola Tango. Tango is another one of those bands with a really fervent fan base. Maybe, you know, more underground than Radiohead, but 1993, they released their album Painful, and they have released many, many, many albums since, but this is still well regarded as one of their top shelf albums. So maybe you want to come on and talk about it. Maybe you want to talk about a different album altogether. That's fine. Email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com, you know, if you want to be on the show, or if you just want to say hi. That's cool, too. Maybe you disagree with, you know, some points that we made. I am open to critique 
or comments. It's cool to interact. Um, yeah, okay, so that it will be all then. Okay, bye. Ninety-four, a music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.